didn't you, Ben? Uh, I heard you whisper that on the, on the live feed. I want to say thank you again to everybody that is uh, is working so hard to bring our worship services uh, together so that we can still meet together online here. I want to thank Brother Jeff again for the Sunday School lesson. Uh, I want to thank Ben, the Dubois family, and Grayson for all your work in uh, putting the, the praise and worship together and live streaming that to Damon and Sabrina for helping out uh, live streaming here. Uh, it's a team effort, folks, all that's been going on. And I know these are, are strange and, and uh, uncertain, we've said before, difficult times that we're living in right now, but it does not change the fact that God's God and we're God's people. And we're going to get together. If we can't get together physically, we can be together spiritually and we can meet online. And again, as I've heard Many other guys say, I'm so thankful for the technology we have that we have the ability to do this today. Folks, this morning, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and find Genesis chapter 3. Now, the message that I'm going to preach this morning, I would like to say it's going to be a short message, but I learned a long time ago, don't say that. Every time I say it, it doesn't work out that way, but I'm planning on preaching kind of a short message, but it's a... It's going to be a message, and I was talking to Brother Damon beforehand, that, that's probably not going to be real popular. Uh, I kind of doubt I get 2,000 likes on Facebook with this message. But here's the thing about it, and I'm talking to preachers that may be listening now. I hope you're live streaming to your church, but maybe you're listening later. Understand something, fellas. We're not called to be popular on Facebook. We're called to be biblical and deliver God's message. We're not called uh, to make the message palatable. We're called to make the message available. Now, the message that I want to bring this morning is one that many of you in my church have heard parts of it. I've preached on around about this topic before, but I believe it is very timely, and this is what God led me to this morning. In Genesis chapter 3, in just a moment, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. I'll give you a minute to find that. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started this morning. Father, I pray today that our hearts are in tune with you, that we are, uh, God, that we are eager with anticipation, that we have that desire to hear a word from you today. I thank you that your love for us is beyond our understanding. I thank you, Father, that you are there for us, that you desire to uh, spend time with us and that we would spend time with you. Father, I pray that today as we look at your word and as we think about these hard questions that many people have, that uh, we would realize that you and you alone are the one that have all the answers. And Father, we trust you. We praise you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Now folks, uh, whether it is a war, whether it's ethnic cleansing, whether it's a terrorist attack, whether it might be a, a tsunami, an earthquake, a tornado, uh, uh, whether it might be something as, as tragic as the millions of innocent children that starve to death every night around the world, or whether it's something like a pandemic that sweeps the globe. I, I don't think anybody would deny the fact that uh, evil and suffering is a reality in our world. It's something that we all face. Now, I know there are some questions that many folks have been asking over the past few weeks, and the questions they've been asking in one shape, form, or fashion are not new questions. They're questions that have been asked since the beginning, I'm sure, of civilization. 
Every time a tragedy, every time a catastrophe might occur, I'm sure that many people ask these questions. Questions like, God, where are you? Questions like, why is this happening? We know there was a man in the Bible, a man by the name of Gideon. Thousands of years ago, he uh, uh, was watching the death of his people. He was watching his people die because of war and terrorist attacks and because of famine and, and disease and the things that go along with war. And in Judges chapter 6 and verse 13, Gideon asked the question. He said, if God is with us, why has all this befallen us? In essence, what Gideon was asking was, God, where are you and why is this happening to us? Several years ago, Barna Group, the Christian poster research group, they were commissioned to inquire of people uh, if they could ask God one question and get the answer. Knew that God would give them the answer. What is the one question that people would ask? Well, overwhelmingly, folks, the majority of people said the question they would ask God is why, God, is there so much evil and suffering in the world? You see, the problem arises because of what we as Christians believe about God and about evil. And there are five things. One, we believe God exists. Amen. Number two, we believe that God is all powerful. Number three, we believe that God is all good. Number four, we believe God is all wise. And number five, we believe that evil and suffering exist. Now here's the rub. Here's the problem, folks. How can the last statement, the fact that evil and suffering exist, be reconciled with the other four statements concerning God? I mean, if God made no claims to be totally good, then evil and suffering, that'd be easy to explain. But the Bible tells us that God is totally good. He's good all the time, and all the time, he's good. Now, if God was limited in his power where he could do nothing about evil and suffering, then evil and suffering would be easy to be explained once again. But the Bible teaches us that God is all-powerful. Now, if evil and suffering were just illusions, and not realities, then we wouldn't have a problem to begin with. But all of us, every one of us understand, folks, that evil and suffering is not an illusion. It is, again, a reality that we face each and every day. So how do you square that? How do you reconcile that? And all good and all powerful and all knowing God, how do you reconcile him with evil and suffering? Now, I want to say this while I'm on this point. I also know that today, for many of you, this is not some academic question. This is not some theological debate for you. This is reality. You have faced the suffering, the heartache. You faced the loss. Maybe you're facing the suffering right now. Maybe the loss of a loved one or uh, the loss of your own health. Uh, you're facing these things and you got some questions and you're looking for answers. Well, I want to tell you right up front and I'm going to be honest with you. I cannot sit here behind this desk and tell you that I have the perfect answer that everybody's going to accept. Because the fact of the matter is, there's no such thing as a perfect answer that everybody's going to accept. It does not exist. But what I can do as a simple preacher is share with you and give you some biblical answers to some of these hard questions that are being asked that can help each and every one of us not only understand answers, uh, not only understand the answers that we're looking for about evil and suffering, but also understand how to get the victory when it comes into our lives. So let's answer some of these hard questions. Number one, let's go to the very beginning of it all, and let's answer the question, where did evil and suffering come from? Where did it originate from? Well, there's one thing I can tell you without reservation. I can tell you with certainty, and I can tell you dogmatically, and that is Almighty God is not the author of evil and suffering. 
You know, over the years, and I'm sure if you're a Christian, you've probably had some non-Christian folks ask you questions, something like this. Uh, over the years, I've had people ask me as a pastor, said, well, why didn't God just create a world without evil and suffering to begin with? Well, my answer to that question is, he did. Are we still on? Yeah. We're good now. Okay. My answer to that question is, God did create a world without evil and suffering to begin with. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, And God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. So, here's the question again. If God is not the author of evil and suffering, and if God created everything there is, and when God originally created it, he said it was all good, then where did all this evil and suffering come from in the first place? Well, in the very beginning, when God created everything there is, there was no evil, there was no pain, there was no sorrow, no suffering, no disease, and no death. And yet today, we look at the world around us, folks, and our world is completely inundated with all these things. So where'd they come from? Well, the Bible teaches and states it very clearly, very plainly, that everything went south the moment that Adam and Eve used their God-given free will to choose to disobey God. And at that very moment, folks, when man by his free will, when the possibility of rebellion against God became a reality and sin entered into the human equation, at that moment all of mankind and all of creation started down a hellish path. That's what the Bible tells us. Look at Genesis 3 verse 1. You got your Bibles open? It says, Now the serpent was more crafty or subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees in the garden of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, and he got her to question God, You shall surely not die. For God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to make uh, to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it, ate, and gave to her husband also to eat. Now folks, listen to me. I want to make it very clear. In that one incident, at that one moment, of rebellion in the very beginning, that's where we see all the problems of life traced to. That's where all of the problems of life first began, at that moment of sinful rebellion. You can go and read through the book of Genesis, and Genesis 3 and 4, you're going to find the reason why childbirth is uh, painful and agonizing. You're going to find the reason why people murder each other. You're going to find the reason why floods and earthquakes and tornadoes and tsunamis and pandemics wreak havoc on the human race. And it's all because of rebellion. It's all because of sin. Now, stay with me. Don't tune me out on this. I know this is probably a message many folks don't want to hear. What I'm doing is giving you the truth this morning. People want to know why. Where did it all start at? Well, I'm telling you that according to God's Word. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, a sin nature has been passed upon each and every one of us. Every person, man, woman, boy, and girl, every person, anyone who's ever been born, that sin nature has been passed upon them. That's why, and I've, I've talked about this before to my church, that's why you don't have to teach kids to be bad, you have to teach them to be good. 
That's why you don't have to teach kids to lie. You have to teach them to be honest. Folks, all of us, every one of us have that sinful nature that causes us to do evil and to suffer and experience that suffering because of evil. Sin, let me explain this to you, and I want you to understand this. Sin not only corrupts the heart of the human race, sin corrupted all the physical world, all of creation. Genesis 3, verse 18, that's out of the Living Bible. It tells us because of sin, nature was corrupted, thorns and thistles entered into the world. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20, against its will, he's talking about all the creation, against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All because of man's sin, all because of rebellion against God, creation was cursed. Now, it may sound too simple for you, or, or it may sound simplistic or even a cop-out, folks. But listen, the root problem of all evil and suffering is the sin of the human race. That's according to God's Word. Someone has estimated or said some time ago, 95% of the suffering in this world is a result of sin in our lives or the lives of somebody else. Now, folks, I'm not making light of this, but what I'm going to do, I want to share with you kind of a humorous story I got from another pastor that illustrates this point. It drives home the point that I'm making. <coughs> and the story goes like this. In the beginning, God populated the earth with broccoli, cauliflower, spinach, green, yellow, and red vegetables of all kinds, so man and woman would live long and healthy lives. Then using God's great gifts, Satan created ice cream and donuts. And Satan said, do you want chocolate with that? Man said, yes. And woman said, and another one with sprinkles, and they gained 10 pounds. Then God created the helpful yogurt that woman might keep the figure that man found so fair. Satan brought forth white flour from the wheat and sugar from the cane and combined them. Woman went from a size 2 to a size 18. God said, try my fresh green salad. And Satan presented Thousand Island dressing and garlic toast on the side. Man and woman unfastened their belts and they continued to eat all that the devil laid before them. God then said, I've sent you heart-healthy vegetables and olive oil to cook them in. And Satan brought forth southern fried deep catfish. Chicken fried steak so big it needs its own platter. Man gained more weight and his cholesterol went through the roof. God then brought running shoes so his children might lose those extra pounds. And Satan gave satellite TV with remote control so man would not have to toil and labor changing channels. And man and woman laughed and cried before the flickering light and gained more pounds. Then God brought forth the potato, naturally low in fat, and brimming with nutrition, Satan peeled off the healthful skin, sliced the starchy center into chips, and deep fried them, and man gained still more pounds. God then gave lean beef so that man might consume few calories and still satisfy his appetite. And Satan created the very first 99-cent double cheeseburger. And Satan then said, you want fries with that? Man replied, yes, and supersize them. And Satan said, it is good. Man went into cardiac arrest. God's side created quadruple bypass surgery, and Satan created HMOs. <laughs> now listen to me, folks. That, that may be funny, and it is, but it makes the point. And the point that I want to drive home is this. If you want to know why there's so much evil and suffering in the world today, all we need to do is look in the mirror. It's because of the sinful rebellion of mankind. The second question, we've answered uh, where does evil and suffering come from? Well, let's answer this question. Why do evil and suffering exist? 
Well, think about this. In our world, we see it every day. There are three types of evil. There's moral evil. That's evil committed by willing people uh, that causes such things as war and murder and uh, uh, racism and discrimination and uh, uh, abuse and things along that lines and other injustices. Then there's uh, natural evil. That's uh, storms and earthquakes and tornadoes and floods and, and pandemics. And then there's social evil. Those are things like poverty and hunger and homelessness. Now the question that literally I believe roars and echoes in the minds of people who are suffering these things is why? Why did this have to happen? And I've had it asked me over the years as a pastor many times stand at the graveside of a loved one. Preacher, tell me something. Why did my child have to die at such a young age? Tell me this, preacher. Why was I abused as a child? Why did God allow all these things to happen to me? Now, friend, I want to make something very clear. Don't feel bad if you find yourself asking the why question because those questions, they're as old as the world itself is. A matter of fact, in the oldest book in the Bible, not the book of Genesis, but the book of Job. And everybody probably knows the story of Job and, and how Job suffered. In Job chapter 3, beginning verse 11, Job asked the question. He says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I'd be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with the kings and counselors of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with rulers who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not? Now he's talking because of all the suffering he's went through. He's saying, why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Folks, I'm going to tell you something, and, and you're probably going to be disturbed by it, but it's the truth. Nobody, I don't care who he is, nobody in on this world, nobody in this life fully, completely knows the answer to the why question. Now, the reason we don't know the answer is because you and I, none of us are God. That's why we don't know the why, the question to the why, the answer to the why question. Now, let me say this. I know that's a real problem for many of us because many today, I mean, we live in a public has the right to know generation. I understand that. And today we live in a society that demands an explanation for anything and wants to be informed about everything. Now let me say something before I go on. There's nothing wrong with asking God the why question, why this happened. There's nothing wrong with it. God understands your heart and God loves you. And just like I have, I've raised four, four kids, okay, four girls, and I can't tell you the time I've been asked why on something. Now I would answer my child, why would I answer them? Because I love them. God, uh, at times... He may give us an answer and he may not, but God does not get offended by his children asking why. That's the point I want to make. The problem comes in when we believe that God, we believe and demand that God must answer us. We get, we get the idea that God has to operate under the Freedom of Information Act. You know, that God, he has to answer every question we have and give us all the information we want at any time we want it. Let me tell you something, friend. <clears throat> that is the height of human arrogance. And that also shows in our society how low of a view and an understanding we have of Almighty God. To think that whenever a tragedy or something happens, to think that we have the right to call God in on the carpet and demand that He answer for His actions and demand that He uh, have a very good reason for doing what He did. Friend, let me clue you in on something. If you don't know this, let me be real clear with you. It'll save you a lot of heartache in the future. And the truth is this, the fact is this, God is God. He don't owe you, he don't owe me, he don't owe any of us an explanation. 
God does not have to justify his action with anybody. He's God and God alone. You say, well, I don't think I like that. Friend, that's biblical and that's the truth. God loves you and God understands when you ask the why questions. But don't have the idea and the attitude to demand from God or to question God. You can say, why did this have to happen? We may not understand the reason, uh, the, the way things happen. But folks, we don't have the right to demand from God. You say, prove that to me. Okay. You've been home a lot the past few weeks like everybody else. Uh, we've all uh, had some free time on our hands. I hope you've been studying God's word since you've been home. If not, let me give you some homework. And these are for anybody listening, but specifically Southside Baptist Church. Your pastor's talking to you. Pay attention to me for just a minute. I want you to read the book of Job. And I want you to discover something and, and realize something. In the book of Job, for almost 40 chapters, 37 chapters, God is silent. God doesn't say a thing to Job. The only time God speaks is when he's talking to Satan. But then after 37 chapters, Job, he is crying out to God and he, he demands an explanation for why he has suffered. And so God answers his question with another question and it puts all of Job's questions to rest. In Job 38 and verse 4, God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Tell me if you have understanding. You know what God was saying? Job, did I ask your opinion when I created this universe? Did I ask your counsel when I flung the stars, the moon, and the planets uh, all into orbit? He said, Job, you wouldn't even be here to question me if I hadn't created you to begin with. Now, folks, let me say this. Even though God doesn't owe us an explanation, I'm going to try to give us a partial explanation to the why question this morning. And I believe it simply all comes down to the free choice of man, man's free will. One of the things that makes us morally responsible is freedom. And we have a choice about what we do. When God created you, when God created me, he created us with a capacity to choose. That means we can choose to love God or not love God. We can choose to believe God or not believe God. We can choose to follow God or not follow God. But listen to me, with that freedom of choice comes the possibility of evil. Because to be free, you not only have to have the ability to choose good, but you have to have the ability to choose evil. That doesn't make God responsible for evil and suffering. That makes you and me responsible for evil and suffering. God created the fact of freedom. We perform the acts of freedom. God made evil possible. It's you and I that make evil actual by our choices and by our actions. Listen, the only way that God could create a world with free will was create a world with the potential for evil and suffering. Now, I know a lot of people may not like this, but let me be real clear with you. God loves us so much, and he wants us to love him so much, that rather than make us robots, he made us real people, and he gave us the ability to make choices, choices for good or choices for bad. Now, let's answer the third question. What purpose does evil and suffering serve? Now, I know there are some people who say because of evil, the concept of God does not make any sense. They say you cannot reconcile a good God with evil. 
Well, folks, I think just the opposite is true. Listen to me. It's not because of evil that God didn't make any sense. It's because of Almighty God that we can actually make sense of evil and suffering. You say, how do we do that? By remembering this truth, friend. God is good and God is so great that he can take the negative of evil and he can turn it into the positive of good. God's the only one who can give purpose and meaning out of evil and suffering. You say, how does he do that? Well, let me share a verse that you're familiar with and one that I used last week. He does that. He takes the, the bad and makes it good by keeping a promise he made in, in the Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those that love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, God has promised that he can take the worst circumstances that come into our lives and cause good to come out of it if we will be committed to his will and to his purpose. Let me give you an example. Take the example of pain. Now, I don't know anybody, anybody in the right mind that likes pain, but you know, a little bit of pain is good because pain can be a warning sign of something far worse. How many times have you heard the story of people who went to the doctor because they had a little pain, the doctor examines them, and the doctor finds something far more worse, uh, far more debilitating, and could even cost them their lives if they had to come in. So pain had a good purpose. Uh, you know, science tells us even earthquakes and storms and things like that, they have a purpose. They, they maintain a delicate balance of ecology and environmental conditions necessary for humanity to survive. So listen to me, friend, just because we don't understand why bad things happen sometimes to us, that doesn't mean there's not a purpose. It may be a purpose that we just don't realize and that we don't see. The fact of the matter is some evil helps bring about an even greater good. Think about this. God also uses pain and suffering to sharpen our character, to help us become more like Jesus. Now, church, uh, church members of Southside, I've preached on this several times. And you know this, so I hope you've already taken this to heart. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Now think about this. We know this is true, folks. Virtues like character, perseverance, uh, determination, they're only formed and strengthened through adversity. They're not formed and strengthened in prosperity. I mean, I've told you before, God's purpose for those of us that follow him, God's overarching purpose is not uh, for us to be happy. It's not for us to be healthy. Now, I realize there are people that preach that and teach that, and the reason they preach that and teach that, that God's overall purpose for your life is to make you happy and healthy. The reason they do that is because they have about as much theological understanding as my coffee cup does. Listen to me. God's overall purpose for our lives in following Jesus Christ is not to make us happy, not to make us healthy, but oh, it's to make us holy and to conform us to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then God uses evil and suffering not to drive people away from Him, but to draw people near to Him. Let me read just 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For God can use sorrow, and this is out of the, the New Living Translation. For God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow. Think about this. I think every one of us have known people who in times of health and times of happiness, they, just, they didn't give a rip about God. They couldn't care about God. But then, folks, when tragedy comes into their life, sickness, suffering, sorrow, God uses that tragedy to break them and to turn their focus and their attention onto Him. 
Now, I'm going to say something here, and I, I know some folks will disagree with me. That's fine. That's your prerogative to do so. I believe that that is exactly what God is trying to do and wants to do with the current situation we find ourselves in. God wants us to allow the situation we're in to break our hearts, to burden our hearts, to make our hearts moldable, and to turn our attention and our focus back to Him. But here's the problem. It is yet to have the desired effect that God wants. You say, why would you say that, preacher? Because we're more concerned, as a young preacher said this morning, we're more concerned about whether we can get our hair cut or not. We're more concerned about whether we can go to the restaurants or not. We're more concerned about whether we can get together and have a, have a fellowship and get together and spend time together than we are about the fact that we ought to be repentant on our face before God, asking God to forgive us as individuals, as a nation, and as a world, and allowing this situation to have its desired effect and to bring us closer to God. Now let me say this, friend. Maybe you still don't believe that God can take the negative and turn it into good. Let me give you the greatest example of all. I'm telling you, I am convinced... I know that God can take the worst thing that ever happens in my life and turn it into the best thing that ever happened in my life. You say, how do you know that? Because God took the worst thing that ever happened in the history of this world and he made it the best thing that ever happened in the history of this world. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that Almighty God took the worst thing that ever happened in this world and that was the death of his innocent son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on Calvary's cross. And he took that death and he turned that into the best thing that could ever happen. That's an opportunity for sinful man to be saved and to be reconciled to a righteous and a holy God and to receive eternal life. God took the very worst thing and brought out of it the very best thing. So let me ask you again, friend, how in the world can you say in your individual life that God can't take whatever circumstance you go through and create something good from it? I'm telling you, He can do that if He can do it with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, He can do that with anything in your life or my life. Any kind of evil or suffering that comes in our life, God can use it ultimately for our good and for His glory. Now there's a last question. And that question is when, when evil and suffering, when we experience that, what should we do? Well, there's only one way you can respond to evil and suffering so that you can cope with it so you can deal with it, and you can get victory through it and over it. And folks, it's simple, but I'm going to tell you right up front, it's not easy. It's simple, and it's this. When, when you're faced with evil and suffering, simply trust God. Trust God. I've told you before, church family, that every time sorrow, pain, suffering, death comes your way, God is simply asking question, do you trust me or not? Let me illustrate it this way. As parents, I'm sure that many of you listening to me that, that, that have kids, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. As parents, there have been times we had to do things with our children, like take them to the doctor or to the dentist, and our kids did not see any good whatsoever coming out of that trip. My oldest daughter, uh, it used to be like... Uh, trying to, to, you know, sack cats, getting her to go to the dentist. But she ultimately had to trust in the fact that Dad loves me and Dad's doing what's best for me. Something good's going to come out of this. 
Well, folks, likewise, our Heavenly Father, He loves us so much. And I want you to remember this. Just because you can't see a purpose in the suffering does not mean there's not one. And it does not mean that God doesn't care for you and that God doesn't love you. If God is good, and I believe He is, if God is all-powerful, and I know He is, and if God is sovereign, and I know He is, and God always does what's right, and God loves me supremely, and I know that He does, then I have to believe that He can take the greatest evil that can ever come into my life and use it again for my ultimate good and for His glory. I want you to remember, He's already shown that He can do that. He did that with the cross. Now, if He did that with the cross, there's nothing in my life or your life that's going to cause God to stumble, that's going to cause God to back up. I want to share one more thing with you before I close this morning. Now, I made mention of it just a few minutes ago, but I'm going to tell you again in closing. In times like this, like, like we're going through, and, what, and, and many, people, many people facing it a whole lot worse than what we are, in times like this, it'll do one of two things. It will either cause you to become bitter, resentful, and angry at God and drive you away from God. Or it will cause your heart to be moldable. It will cause you to be open and tender and cause you to run to God and draw close to God. My prayer is that you will not allow, and it doesn't, whatever suffering, whatever evil it is, whatever you have to face in life, you will not allow that poison to creep into your heart and to cause you to get resentful and bitter with God. But instead, you will allow the situation to have its desired effect. And it will cause you to turn in faith and to trust God, even when you don't understand. Because I'm going to tell you something, friend. We're all in a similar situation right now. We're all facing similar things. And it's a whole lot better to face times like this with God than without God. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, I pray for those today that are listening and for those that will hear, that hear this message at a later date. I pray they'll understand that you do love us and that, Father, you demonstrated that love to us by the cross. And you took the cross, the worst thing that could have ever happened on this earth. And you made it the best thing that ever happened on this earth. And Father, through the cross, we can know that you love us. I pray for those that are needing encouragement that, that uh, Father, they, they got it today through your word. I pray for those who had questions that, Father, I pray through the Holy Spirit that their questions may have been answered today. And then most of all, I pray for those, Father, who are not turning towards you but perhaps turning away from you or perhaps staying on top dead center. They would understand their greatest need is Jesus Christ. And their greatest, uh, the greatest decision they could ever make is to surrender their life to him and turn and trust you. And I pray they would do that today. Father, I thank you for this time. I pray you bless those who have joined with us. And that, God, I pray in our lives that we would trust you, that we would lean on you, we would follow you when we understand and especially when we don't understand. In Christ's name, amen. Folks, there's a few announcements I need to make very quickly. Uh, don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock, we'll be live streaming the evening message. Don't forget Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, Brother Damon is 
uh, still doing the Wednesday night Bible study in the book of First Peter. That's correct. Mm -hmm. The book of First Peter. Also, folks, we are tentatively we're going to do a special service next Sunday since it's Easter. We're planning to have drive up or drive in. The hell we say it? Drive in church. That's where you show up in your cars. You stay in your parked cars. Don't get out. We're going to maintain social distancing. We're going to maintain the the uh, mandates and the requests that have been made. And we're going to be safe in this. But we'll stay in the cars. We will have a platform set up in the north parking lot here. Uh, we'll have music and have preaching and also be live streaming. But it's Easter Sunday morning. And we'd like to get together if possible. That's what we're going to try to do. Keep watching Facebook and your email. We'll keep you updated and informed on that. Uh, one last thing. We will begin feeding uh, uh, the community tomorrow or certain uh, folks in our community. Uh, we're partnering with the Chamber of Commerce and some other churches. If you would like to take part in that, then by all means, let Marcia know and she can get you set on a schedule on a rotation again. We're reaching out, being the hands and feet of Christ, but we're doing it by maintaining social distancing and we're following all the mandates that are set in place. So if you'd like to be part of that in one way or another, please let Marcia know. Uh, any other announcements? A few folks sitting here that y'all can think of. All right. God bless you. I pray that uh, you spend time with God uh, through all this quarantine that's going on because God wants to spend time with you. Have a good day.